Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Radically Loved. This is Tessa coming at you. We have the pleasure of welcoming Brie Luna to the show today. Brie Luna is the author of Blood, Sex, Magic. I'm going to hold up the cover of the book because it's gorgeous. Um, Everyday Magic for the Modern Mystic. This came out back in October of 2023. Um, and Brie is such a cool individual. So I'm super excited for you all to get to know her. If you aren't familiar with her work already, she's the founder and creative director of The Hood Witch, um, which I will let Brie talk about The Hood Witch because she's, she'll do it so much more justice than I can. Um, but yeah, she's, she's an individual devoted to everyday magic for the modern mystic. And this comes through in her artwork and her writing. Um, and she advocates for the use of traditional healing and practices to address modern day challenges. Um, so congrats on the new book, Brie. And thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Doing well on our rainy day schedule. <laughs> yeah. We just discovered that we're both in the state of Washington. I think there's something kind of mystical and uh, mysterious, especially about Seattle. I don't know if you feel that vibe up there. What do you it's think, Brie? It's definitely uh, an interesting space to be in and to live. Uh, it's much different than Los Angeles. I grew up in born and raised LA native. And living in Seattle has just been such a change of scenery. It's colder, of course, darker. We have more seasons. I've always heard that Seattle was like a very scorpionic uh, <laughs> land and area. Um, of course, it's indigenous land. It's native land. So it just it feels very special. Um, I love being in the forest. I love nature. So being amongst like old growth forest and ancient trees and just really having such a deep reverence for the people who have come before me and just being in the space and really having a lot of reverence for it, like going on hikes and things like that. So I never saw myself as being like a super naturey girl until I like lived here. When did you move up to Seattle? How long have you um, been here? I've lived here off and on for the past like 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was just curious if we overlapped at all, but I've been out of that area since, well, I guess about 10 years. I, I left in 2014. So maybe briefly we overlapped, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the forest up there, the old growth, uh, it's just hiking is just like at your fingertips. You don't have to drive very far. So I miss that. I guess I was thinking about when I, when I think about Seattle, I think about um, like the quintessential image of like Forks, Washington that comes to mind made popular by um, Twilight. Yeah. By Twilight. Yes. Um, we're all vampires too. <laughs> yes. 
which is, is cool. I love that. Um, and okay. So Seattle aside, what I'd love to hear you talk about Hoodwitch. I love talking about Hoodwitch. So of course I will tell you all about it. Thank you. Um, I recently just celebrated my 10 year anniversary. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Hoodwitch, um, the Hoodwitch is my, I guess you would call it like brand community, um, magic, magical space. Um, I started the Hoodwitch 10 years ago. And initially, my inspiration behind it, even the name, um, was sort of giving an homage to my grandmothers, not even sort of it was, um, were, you know, my grandmothers being both black and Mexican, um, coming from a ve- two very different spiritual backgrounds um, and ancestral lineages. And I really wanted to acknowledge that because when I started the Hoodwitch, um, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't many spaces for women of color specifically to uh, honor their magic, especially like within social media um, in, a, in a manner that felt authentic to me. A lot of the spiritual groups that I saw were very Eurocentric, very whitewashed, new age spirituality. And I didn't really feel that I fit in that. And I always felt very othered in those spaces um, and didn't really feel like accepted or, you know, and so it was, it was for me creating the hood, which I wanted it to be inclusive for all people and for no matter like your race or your gender or your level of experience, I enjoyed just meeting curious people. So I started doing, um, a few different pop-up markets um, in Seattle where I sold my crystals and I did tarot readings and, you know, people could meet me off of like Instagram. And at that time, Instagram was not as it is now, you know, where everyone is a witch, everybody's a psychic, everyone is a medium and they're teaching you life classes. And, you know, every, you know, every, everybody now has some business of that is magically related, right? And for me, I really do think that the Hood Witch was truly like the like premier like witch site that really opened the doors for so many practitioners to get their foot in and in, in sort of like I was doing like brand partnerships. I created my own product line. I mean, my own cosmetic line with Smashbox. So many things, you know, where I it's like it's even hard to kind of like even look back on that where I'm just like Jesus like I've done a lot of really cool shit and it's it's for me I guess it was like having those opportunities uh presented in such an authentic way right where like I never went like looking for them where I'm like I'm gonna make a witch brand that's gonna you know be this or I never like tried to be anything so it was like this uh starting Hoodwitch really was just the beginning of like creating my own lane and, and opening the doors for so many other women of color and witches who are coming out of like the broom closet and not having um insecurity or feeling weird about making money for your your magic your skills your services and not having shame around that because I feel like in some way that people want you to feel ashamed for being successful or being smart or 
marketing or branding, you know, and I get it. Like everyone doesn't want to be like, I don't want to capitalize on, you know, spirituality, but it's like, uh, this is my skill. This is my practice. This is my knowledge that I'm sharing with the world. And I do think that we should be compensated for that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the wellness industry, it's such an interesting phenomenon to feel like you're providing this service, but shouldn't be compensated for it. And I felt, I definitely felt like that as a young yoga teacher starting out feeling like, well, this is a service. It should be a selfless act. It should be, I think, accessible to the community. And certainly there are some spaces um, within the yoga realm that feel like maybe they're too expensive for some people to afford. But as a practitioner, as a teacher, you, you that's your livelihood. I mean, you have to be able to put a roof over your head, pay your bills, and you're providing a service that is of value. So I absolutely resonate with like the conundrum of feeling like I have to get paid for this and I I don't want to shame myself for it of, of course and I think again it's like there is this notion that if you're spiritual you're supposed to be like completely selfless and I'm like no I'm a witch I'm not a saint um I'm definitely going to support my family and I'm going to support myself and I think there's a difference between knowing your worth and being exploitive so those are two very different things and it's like especially being a black and mexican woman i deserve to be getting paid for my services you know and like for my knowledge for my education for my ancestral teachings like from my business like just so much and i'm like i could even go in it's like i've had brands as large as starbucks rip off the hood witch okay so it's like over the course of 10 years, I have learned and seen just so much, seen this evolution that we are, you know, living in right now with this like modern witch renaissance, you know, where we're seeing so many people tapping back into decolonizing their magic and getting back in touch with their, you know, pre-Christian pagan roots and you know what we're seeing and I love this for everyone I love seeing it I've seen I've met and I know witches who are in Europe I know witches who are practicing like African traditional religion so it's like I love seeing all of this unfold and knowing that so many people are you know grateful for hood witch for really being that first to kind of step out utilizing social media there were so many times that like older practitioners were like, didn't understand what I was doing and they didn't like, like, Oh, she's on the internet, like putting all of our secrets into the one. And it's like, but now they're the ones who are like on TikTok and they're like promoting their businesses and everyone's promoting something, selling classes, selling that, 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 you know? So it's like, it's, it, it took a while for it to get going, but now, you know, we see it so much in the mainstream, but, this is nothing new. And I'm not saying like, oh, I'm the first witch ever to do this. But it's like, I know what I did create. I know the space that I did open up. And I am acknowledging I'm owning that now because it's taken me 10 years to really step into that leadership type of role. And knowing like, oh, you know, I deserve my flowers. I've put in so like a, a decade now, you know, of work for free. <laughs> you know, like on Instagram, on my website, giving astrology information like weekly for free. And now people charge like, you know, 
tons of money for it. I'm like, I was like, wait a minute, what did I do? Like, where did I go wrong here? No. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's something so interesting about that too. I think about that from an entrepreneurial lens, regardless of the industry, as you're starting out, how much stuff do you give away for free and how, and when do you start charging for things? And then also um, over the years or months, maybe when do you start seeing a profit? When do you start feeling like, okay, now this is actually a viable way to make a living. Mm-hmm. What was that process like for you? Do you feel like it kind of evolved over time slowly? Was there like a moment where you made a big break? Um, you know, I never again like planned for much of anything. Like my intention with like starting Hoodwitch, it was always just about being very inclusive, um, sharing information that I felt was meaningful or useful. Um, back then it was like, full moon rituals and like new moon rituals and uh it was very cool um and so I think at that time visually because of my love of contemporary art and putting my own touch on it it wasn't being done the same way that I was so I think so a lot of people began to see that and so I had other brands reaching out to me um and art galleries reaching out to me to do meditations in their galleries or doing events with their brand or you know like we started seeing more of that like intermingling of popular culture um with the witch world and so that was really cool um but in terms of money i mean i'm an earth sign. I'm a Taurus, so I'm not afraid of money. <laughs> I think it's a tool. It's a very useful tool. And um, I think those, seeing those opportunities and like knowing how to market yourself, it was very much a like, uh, what is it called? Like you, you learn, like you learn as you grow and you know what your worth is, you know, um, through trial and error, I guess you would say. So mm-hmm. that took a lot of experience. And that is something now over the course of 10 years, I was laughing and I was telling my friends, I was like, I think I should get into doing like witch PR now. <laughs> I'm like, I think that there's so many like baby witches and like spiritual practitioners that would really benefit from. My yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Well, I want to spend some time on blood sex magic. Um, <clears throat> I think what I loved, what I loved about it that jumped out me first what when I read the pitch was, of course, the title, Blood, Sex, Magic. And then as I started to dive in, realizing that the book's actually divided up into those three sections. Um, so I wanted to hear you talk about those three sections, what they mean to you, why why you created it in this way. So interestingly enough, um, with Blood, Sex, Magic, I was joking with my literary agent uh, when I had already written the manuscript. And I was like, I've already given this enough of my blood, sweat, and tears. I was like, what do you want from me? The blood, sex, and the magic? And then we were dying laughing. And he was like, actually, that's like the perfect title. And I was like, wait a minute. I love that title. I was like, blood, sex, magic. Like, yeah, that sounds, that's about right. We were like, truly, we were joking around, like laughing. Because I was like, I didn't think Harper would ever go for me having a title like blood, sex, magic. And then when we submitted my manuscript, they were like, we love it. This is, that sounds perfect. That's great. And I was like, really? Okay, that's great. Thank you guys. Like, I was just joking, but um, that actually does 
feel right for me. Um, it fit, it, feel, it felt right. It's very much like my humor and it's very much like how kind of cheeky I am. Like where I'm like, Oh yeah. You know? So, uh, breaking it up into those sections of blood being like, because I, okay, you guys will never, you're going to be like, what? I'm like, I actually wanted to write about like blood magic. And then they were like, oh, I was like, eh, no, that could get a little bit too, that's too much of a liability. We cannot put that, like, we can't, we can't do that. So I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to be like responsible either for like, you know, something going terribly wrong with people. <laughs> like, I'm like, because when we think about like bodily fluids and I'm like, eh, it gets a little tricky and it's weird. and like. It's it's just too obscure, I think, for like the common layman, you know, like the common, just your average Harper, like person who's getting a book at the bookstore. It's like, eh. if it was maybe like a smaller, like my own self-published thing, I think I could get away with it. But anyway, the blood to me, I was like, okay, well, maybe we won't take it to such a literal place and we can be more symbolic. So we'll talk about like ancestral lineage. We'll talk about my roots. We'll talk about, you know, just everyone's sort of like in, in natural inheritance of like their magic or like their lineage or tapping into their uh, their roots, right? So that's where we have the blood. And then we get into sex, which is very self-explanatory. It is probably my biggest topic of conversation with all of my clients, be that with spell work or with tarot, it's sex. Like it's sex, it's relationships. So that is something I wanted to touch on relationships, uh, sex. We have pregnancy loss, dealing with grief after that. Um, and then getting into magic and then like the magic section, you know, we kind of, it's like a circle. It goes back around to like the ancestral lineage. It goes back into practical spells. So the way I saw this book, when I initially wrote it, it wasn't the writing first. I already envisioned what I wanted it to look like first. I'm a very, very visual, visually driven person. And the book that I wanted to make felt almost like a scrapbook, like a modern day grimoire. Like I wanted it to be something that felt very talismanic and just beautiful and uh, spoke to your subconscious and looked like symbols and lots of heavy imagery and lots of color. So the first thing I told Harper when I got my book deal, I told them I need full creative control, which does not ever happen for most authors. And I just told them, I was like, I've already turned down 11 publishers. I don't care if you guys don't want to do it. You know, you don't want to, you know, allow me to have this vision, then I just won't do it. And so at the time, my editor, she's like, oh, I don't know if they're going to let you, you know, do this. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to do it. Like, this is the, what I want. And like, I don't want to make anything other than that. And she came back and she's like, oh my God, they love it. I even drew out, I'm not joking you. I'm like so obsessive this way where like, I had examples, I drew it out. I had like, I mean, like a full image of like what I wanted it to look like. And she took it back, and then they're like, "We love it. It's beautiful. It's amazing." Okay, it is so. beautiful, and this artwork throughout, I just it just grabs you the second you open it. It's like, I don't know, you guys, you got to pick it up and and see it for yourselves and hold it in your hands. 
it's just me trying to talk through it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you said in the beginning of the book that um, this, I felt like you were talking right to me. I was just reading the introduction and you were like, there's so many rituals in here. Well, there were so many rituals that I didn't like, it was hard to decide which ones to put into the book. And so I was curious if there were any rituals that were really hard for you to leave off that you wanted to talk about. Hmm. I think that there were a lot of, I was able to include one very controversial spell in my book and I'm excited for you guys to read it. <laughs> it's, it's the panty tea spell. Oh my gosh. Is um very popular in South America, Central America and within like the American South like and it was pretty controversial um when I submitted the manuscript and everyone loved it. I thought they were going to be like absolutely not just like with the blood magic. <laughs> but they loved it and I was like okay I did put a warning in it. Um, as for things that I wanted to leave out, there's not too many spells that I uh, left out or, you know, didn't include. I just feel like for my first book, I wanted to put some things that I felt really comfortable with sharing with the world. I don't really want to give too much of my own, my own personal, you know, my own personal spells, but I wanted to put in spells I know 100% work, 100% feel, stand strongly and firmly by um, as I have known them to work. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, for me, I just felt comfortable with sharing um, spells and sharing practical magic that I know works and has worked for me and my family and it's like a tried and true you know what I mean like I don't want to put something crazy like or outrageous where you're like messing up people's lives or you know so even with the controversial panty tea I do put a warning because it is like a binding type of spell it's very potent and it, it, I think that it's important ethically to just be cognizant of the energy that you're putting into your work. Yeah. I'm so I'm kind of cracking up for you because I am flipped open to that page because I was going to ask you about it. Now, I'll tell you why. So, my husband is from Mexico and every once in a while and we've been married for like 15 years and I'm still learning new things all Did the time. You make him the panty tea. <laughs> Well, he's always like, I can't remember when this was, maybe last year. He's like, yeah, agua de calzón. And he started to explain to this elixir that you make with like panties. <laughs> okay. He, I, I can't remember how this came up, but he's, he was like describing this agua de calzón. And I thought he was joking. Um, and literally to this day, even like when I picked up your book and I was like, oh, this is actually a real, this is it's a real, real thing that people do. Um, and so I just, I had to, I had to ask you about it. And do you mind explaining what you do to listeners? For so, this call? <laughs> so the panty tea um, is a very, again, like I said, I'm telling you guys this. With a little wink, wink, 
and using at your own caution and your own discretion. I will say that. Uh, so the panty tea is used in love um, spells, sex magic spells um, to bind and to keep your lover with you and to dominate your partner or to keep them under your, you know, keep them, keep them yours. So basically um, a person will take their used undergarments, their panties, um, and it's important that you wear them for a few days. I know you guys are going to be like, this is so gross, but I'm giving, I'm telling it, I'm giving you the real brujeria. Okay. So you wear them a few days. You should not wear black underwear. You need to wear red or pink because those are the colors, you know, associated with like love and sex and lust and magic. Um, so you're going to wear pink or red underwear, um, wear them for a few days and you're going to boil some water and you're going to put the used underwear in the water and let them soak. You will then add cinnamon. You can add honey and traditionally it's used. You can make a sweet rice with it, or you can just make your partner some tea. You can use it in their, in your cooking and food. Um, and this is no different than in the American South for those who are listening, who are familiar with voodoo and folk magic. Yeah, I mean, many Southern people who are listening will know the common expression that they don't eat everyone's spaghetti. And that's because traditionally women will put their menstrual blood in the pasta sauce. And it is one of the strongest love spells, binding spells that you can do to someone. Um, and for our gay listeners, it's the same with cum and semen. Um, so your bodily fluids can be used. And I'm saying use this with caution, obviously. Um, any bodily fluid when we're talking about blood or semen, I mean. You want to take the same precautions that you would, obviously, like if you're tested and, you know, you don't want to be consuming someone's bodily fluid, you know, that could put you at risk or like putting someone else's life at risk. So I do have to preface it with that. Um, please be responsible, be smart, like don't do something crappy like that to someone. But um hey, I mean, I, I would say I'm just giving you don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you what it is so this is for educational purposes only yes and i asked the question so <laughs> blame me if you're going to blame someone <laughs> um thank you brie i appreciate that uh, i wanted to talk about um i'm thinking back to early on in the book and you're this is in the ancestral section so blood um and uh, this feels to me reminiscent of kind of like a day of the dead ritual, um, honoring the dead, inviting the dead in, making like their favorite foods. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious to, I'd like to talk about the subject of death in general. I mean, this, that sounds kind of dark, but I think it's something I that- darkness. I'm a Scorpio rising. I love to talk yeah. about death. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this from the lens of, it's a kind of a multifaceted lens, I think. I'd like to hear your thoughts on things like, like horror films, um, 
And this, the historical significance of Halloween, certainly Dia de los Muertos, if you want to share anything else about that, um, all these tra traditions around uh, honoring the dead, exploring death, uh, life after death, things like that. So interestingly enough, I mean, everyone's always afraid of death. Um, I am a devotee to Santa Muerte. So death for me is as much as a part of life. It's something that I have, again, a very deep reverence for. Um, I don't think it's the end when it comes to love and energy and our ancestors transitioning from one energetic dimension of our consciousness or you know what where our minds are able to even perceive um i don't think that death is the end i think it's like a gateway to life and it's a natural part of life and the cycles of life and death and rebirth and so you'll see throughout my book there are a lot of scorpions um because to me that is in, in serpents imagery like so there's lots of snakes there's lots of scorpions and to me that was my little ode to death and rebirth especially during the process of this book what else okay so in terms of like halloween and Samhain and fetgete um in my book and in, in dia de los muertos so it's like in my book, I have an entire section about going to New Orleans during the time of Fetgede, which for those of you are not familiar, um, around Halloween um, and in South and Central America, like Dia de, Dia de los Muertos, we have Fetgede, which is uh, Haitian voodoo, like it's very popular within Haitian voodoo. And that's their time of honoring the Gede, which the Gede are a group of Lawa Loa, and they are celebrating life. They're celebrating death and partying and having a wonderful time. And it's so fascinating to me to see how like the ancient people who have come before us, they knew this, you know, the cyclical nature of life and death and being these like gatekeepers of death and celebrating and honoring it and having the best time ever. And so when I went to New Orleans, this was the first time I'd ever been invited to a proper voodoo ceremony. And I was just blown away. I had never like New Orleans and it as a whole, I have just such a deep, deep respect as a witch, as a practitioner of magic, when you go to New Orleans, especially during October and November, I mean, but anytime, really, anyone who lives there and is like a proper Louisiana, you know, New Orleans native will tell you that there is a very fine line between the living and the dead. And it's so palpable. The energy is just so, oh, it is like, I've never experienced anything like it on in this country right in at all i have not felt anything like it and to be at a proper voodoo ceremony and to i felt so honored you know to be sharing space um and seeing people get mounted which they call it in voodoo it's like getting mounted it's like getting possessed with 
uh, the spirit or getting possessed with this loa. And so having these energy or uh, having these gede, like getting into human form or taking hold of people. I mean, in the book, you're going to read, like, I'm not shitting you. Like there are, there is a liquor that's made in advance. Right. And it's a liquor that's either, I believe like rum or I don't remember what it was, but it has like chili peppers, hot peppers, because apparently like the Gede, they love like heat, like hot, really hot peppers. I mean, like ghost peppers. I mean, it's like a bottle filled at, at the bottom of the bottle filled with hot, the hottest peppers that will literally burn a hole through your tongue if you're not mounted and you put that in your mouth. And so you're seeing these people, you're seeing these people sipping out of this bottle and like ha- capable, you know, to be in such a trans induced state of putting this liquor in their mouth and blowing it into the room. And you're just like, it felt like it was just, I, I felt like I was in this very like liminal space. Okay. It was like, it didn't, you didn't know if it was real. You didn't know the time. There was no time. There was no differentiation between spirit and physical. I've never experienced anything like it till this day. Mm, wow. It was, it was just like, and, and I didn't know this. So I learned much later on after, um, um, a professor and a uh, voodoo practitioner who he came from Nigeria. He educated us later on a, the signaling from the drum patterns when they're calling in the loa to come down all of, if you see on the ground in like a voodoo ceremony, they always lay out what are called veves, like on the ground, they use laying placed on the ground. So before the ceremony starts, you, you see like the priestess and she's laying out, you know, the symbols on the ground. And so the drumming patterns and the rhythms are almost like the text message or like the calling card where it's like, okay, it's time to come down now. And they land in those, on those bebes. And that's when the ritual, that's when you see the drumming gets faster and like the, the bodies, like you feel yourself. I felt my body. I didn't know this. The closer that you stand next to the drummers, the more chances of getting mounted by the spirit, the closer that you are, that you're standing. So I started feeling my body and it was like a wave. I felt like with the drumming patterns, as they started to intensify, as they started to increase, my body was like slowly moving and it felt like I was on a, like a wave. It was so, I have never, I'm truly telling you, I was like, I've, I've been, I've been to so many different rituals and ceremonies and things like that from many traditions and paths, but nothing has ever been so, I can only way I can describe it was like electric. How do you come out of an experience like that? I imagine there's as, as much as there's ritual to get you to that place. I'm sure there's a way to like seal the passage, close the door, get you back into your own body, create yeah, space. Yeah, it's, it's an it's an it's an extensive. It's it can go. I mean, depending on the ceremony, it can be hours, hours long. So there's definitely, um, you know, I don't want to give away too much. Obviously, for respect for the space that I was in, but 
there's a lot that goes, I'll put it this way. There's a lot that goes into uh, the beginning and the ending of the ceremony. So powerful and just so captivating. And I felt like truly it was the, one of the most beautiful moments and it most impactful. It was such a humbling experience where I have such a love and respect like my ancestors are from Louisiana so I but I never got to see like that side of it you know Mm -hmm. and I think like it's it's one thing when you say like oh I'm you know I I practice this or New Orleans is definitely going to humble you it is going like spiritually this the spirits there will humble you when you go during their time. <laughs> and and that is specifically around I would say October. I mean their their time is every time because they love to party. They're gonna come out, you know, they love to dance and drink and eat and music and having the best time. So I'm like those spirits living there in that dwell in, in New Orleans, you know, they're always there. They're always around. But I do think there's a, a particularly special moment when you have um, Halloween, Samhain, Fetgede, and then going into Mardi Gras, you know, and that's in February, I believe, but like going into those, uh, times, I just have such a respect. I, I just, I love it. I, I was like, I want to go back. I can't wait to go back. Yeah. People either really love New, New Orleans or you really, you really love it or you really hate it. Mm, I've never been, but I definitely want to go. So now I'm even more inspired. <laughs> I want to I want to change gears a little bit and talk about, uh, let's say someone's listening to this and they haven't really dabbled much in magic just yet. Maybe they want to start somewhere. Certainly, I think your book would be a good place. Um, are there any tips and tricks that, that the layperson can start to dabble with in their day-to-day life? Well, I think that, you know, creating meaningful rituals for yourself is important. And you can do that in a way where you're not, um, you know, being disrespectful or like appropriating anyone else's culture. So I would really say starting off with your own meaningful ritual, and it doesn't have to be anything that's like outrageous or like, you know, completely, you know, extravagant or financially extravagant or over the top. Um, something as simple as building an altar in your home and your space and dedicating it to like, I want to have a peaceful home, you know, lighting or like bringing in more tranquility. So you would start off with a beginner's altar. I mean, I would even say like, um, making sure that you're representing all of the elements, you can have a candle for fire, having a little dish for water, uh, putting a little bit of salt for earth or like a crystal or a stone or a feather for air. Um, incense, you know, just putting us having a sacred designated space in your home um, where you sit and you either you can meditate there or, you know, putting together your ancestral altar, which I share in my book, how to do that. Um, Getting dressed in the morning, that can become ritualistic too. putting on music, saying affirmations to yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror. Like, and and I do this a, a lot, you know, and even Dressing with intention, with color. What color do I feel like I want to embody today? Mm-hmm. I always joke about that with my partner where I'm like, I wish I could just paint my body colors and wear that color for the day. And I actually did that for my first book release on Halloween. I painted my entire body red and I did my entire event red. 
as a little devil. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Um, I was curious, do you know much about the direction that you face in terms of altar? I think about um, calling in spirits from Northeast, Southwest. Um, when you said elements, I also thought of, is there a particular direction that you would face for any particular intention? Uh, so I think it's important for people when you are going to cast the circle um, the first thing we do, like the step, obviously, number one, you want to welcome air, which is in the east, uh, the direction of new beginnings. So when I'm generally starting a circle or casting a circle, we're going to start with going with air. <laughs> casting the circle, you're going to welcome in the element of air in the east, which is the direction of new beginnings. So that's something that, you know, you want to take into consideration. Second, you will welcome in, you move, you'll turn south, which is the direction of fire. Uh, that's the direction of our passion and will. Then third, you're going to turn to the west, which is the direction of water, the direction that we want to thank for washing away what's no longer serving us, okay? Next, you're going to call in earth, which is the direction of the north, which is of wisdom and keeping us grounded. So in keeping us feeling blessed and abundant. Um, I always like to say ancestors of below, which is, you know, you want to give gratitude for those who are helping us behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, those who have been here before us. Um, and then we call our ancestors in the direction of above, which is infinite possibility. And so we want to thank them for helping us to look ahead and outside. Um, when you close your circle, you're going to go, oh, wait, sorry, before, before I even like, I'm like getting ahead of myself. Um, and then you want to welcome in the sacred center. This is not something that everyone has to do. It's something I like to do, which is the direction of our holy mysteries, right? So this is where we're showing, this is the part of like death. This is life. This is where all things are of transformation and it's powerful, right? So we want to call in that sacred center. So when we close the circle or when we're saying, once you're done with opening the circle, you would say like, the circle is cast, um, and so now you're in between worlds. When you're closing your circle, you're going to do everything but in reverse. So you're going to thank your sacred center. You're going to thank your guides from above. You thank your guides from below. We thank earth in the north. We then turn to water in the west. We're going to thank fire in the south, and then you go and you thank air in the east. And then you give thanks and you close your circle hmm. i do think it's important um when you're honoring and you're thanking each direction uh one thing that i've learned in my practice it's like for example like when we're doing like thank you for thank you air for your boundless knowledge and intuition so i would even say like giving thanks for each element and what that represents and what that means to you in your life so when we say fire in the direction of the south it is about passion it's will the same for my tarot readers out there it's like with having wands and pentacles and cups all of those are symbolic of elements right and and we all have the direction so we know that cups are representative of 
water and we have the pentacles that are representative of earth and fire with wands and air with the sword. So these, I love how everything, you know, really finds its way and coming back together. I wanted to talk a little bit about tarot since I, um, I know you do tarot readings and we've had a few other tarot readers on the podcast, but everyone has their own unique approach to it. Um, and I have a little note here to ask you about how tarot can be used as a mirror for the soul. Um, and so I just wanted to hear you describe what that means to you and how you use tarot in your own personal practice. And if you want to share anything about how you use it for other people. Oh, I love, 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 love tarot. I have over, I would say I have easily over 300, 400 tarot decks. Wow. Yeah, it's it's like, and I collect them. So I have like very old out of print decks that have been gifted to me, things I like buy. So I'm obsessed. I love the tarot um, as a tool. So when I think of the tarot as a mirror to the soul, I do see it as a tool that is presenting to you a story of the energy that is reflected in your life in that time in that moment i don't like using the tarot as a means for fortune telling as people say it or like predicting the future like and this is what's going to happen and this is what's set in stone and like this is you know i i never i'm never that way with my clients i like to show them the options like for example i'm like okay the path that you're on right now, the energy, like what you're doing every single day with your habits and who you are as an individual and like just what you're on right now, what you're doing right now, these are your options. This is what's coming up, okay? Like these are, this is what I'm seeing and this, these are, you know, very real channels for you and these are sort of the options. So I think it's about showing you, it's mirroring to you the choices that you're that you're making in your life the patterns that you're making but i also think that there's so much room the tarot for me is such a beautiful tool because you can never just be set in one way i'm always learning so much more from other like other readers and i love meeting readers who have been doing tarot for like 40 years I met a woman, she was in her late 70s, and she's been reading for over 40 years. And she just blew my mind. And I just love everyone's style, you know, not everyone's style, but I like people who give solutions, and who maybe show me something that I've never really paid attention to before. And so that's what I love about the tarot is that like, you always can find something new a new technique, a new spread, a new way of looking at things, a new way of interpreting things. So that to me is always like, there's just a constant quest for learning. And I just, I don't, I love it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite deck? Ah, that's so hard. <laughs> I I'll tell you what my favorite deck is right now. Okay. I have, what is my favorite deck right now? Ah, uh, Okay. 
So the one that I've been reading with the most is a very, it's a very cool old deck. And it's sort of like, I had to look for this and it was at this like really old Botanica and it's a Santa Muerte deck. And it's so cool because I've never seen anything like it before. Like there's a one that's like popular on like Amazon, but that's not it. This one is very obscure and um, it's only in Mexico, like that they have them or like they have them at like very small, like botanicas, but like, it's not popular. Like it's not on Amazon. And so I love that one the most right now. Um, I really love this one. That's by, uh, I love the sacred Dakini Oracle. Her name is Penny Slinger. Okay. And I love her deck, Penny Slinger. Uh, she's an artist and she's like very surreal collage artist. Mm. I love her art. I love her deck. Amazing. Um, I'm really looking forward to the Leonora Carrington deck that's being made. I love the Salvador Dali deck. I have so many. I'm not joking. I literally have like over 300. It's probably like maybe four. I have a storage unit. I have a public storage unit because I have boxes. I don't even want to get on. I don't even want to like get you started with like the books, the amount of books that I have of rare. I think, oh, that's one thing I didn't tell you. So most people don't know this, but like I have, um, I started the Bruja, uh, it was called the Bruja like bookshop. And that was like a spit, like a, not a spinoff, but it's kind of like a, separate entity of the hood witch where i sold rare occult and esoteric books and my collection is pretty out of this world i have some serious gems that a lot of collectors are even just like how the hell did you get that where do you is this a physical bookshop or does it exist online no no, no, it was online um it's on instagram that's how i sold most of the books on there but I kept a lot of them for myself and I went recently to this um, antiquarian book fair and I would go up to the different booths that had like different occult and like esoteric books from like the 60s and 70s and you know 18th century 17th century like really 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 old books and I'm looking around I'm like oh I already own this and they're like what and I'm like oh yeah I have this and I have the first edition of it so there are certain books that I've actually had to um have them covered and I plan to get like a nice safe for them because if anything happens you know like heaven forbid it's like I really want to ensure that my books are kept safe and I think that like once I die I'm gonna like will them to like the philosophical research society which is where I had my first, um, which I had my book signing in Los Angeles. So that was pretty amazing. That like I don't know if you guys are like familiar with like listening. I'm such a like bibliophile. I'm like an actual book worm, book nerd. Uh, I love just nerding out on this like all day. Uh-huh. I did talk about books, but I got to read. I mean, I got to do my book signing in the Manly P Hall library which is the largest occult and esoteric library in the west coast and that's in la yes it has it's in uh los feliz it's 
has over 30,000 rare out of print occult books mm. oh, that are open to the public. Wow. I'm definitely going there the next time I head to LA. Rosie Acosta, who is the founder of this podcast, Radically Loved, is in LA and she's she and I are both heavy into reading and definitely resonate with you as a book nerd and um, both authors ourselves. And so, yeah, we're, we're on board with all of this. <laughs> You're going to love it. And I was just blown away that I'm like, I'm in this, like, what? I'm in this library amongst the spirit of so many, like, Alan Watts was there and, like, lecturing in, like, Manly P. Hall and, like, just all of these, like, incredible, like, philosophers and occultists and witches and magicians and just the coolest people that you could ever I mean I couldn't even imagine and it was like you can feel their energy you can feel like it was just so palpable that their spirits like you know it's like book collectors and authors and all of us in the realm of like magic and spirit and all of those things it's like we're never going we're not going anywhere like we just usher in you know like new generations and so I think it's just so fascinating for me and I got really I cried I got really I'm getting emotional now like when I even think about like just such a legacy and to be amongst all of them it just and seeing my book there and having my book sold in the Philosophical Research Society, it's like, it's so, it, it means a lot to me. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I can imagine, Brie. You do such good work. I'm so glad it's out into the world and you're sharing it with people. Thank you so much for showing up and chatting with us today. I'm curious um, what your favorite place is to connect with people on the socials, if you have one. I don't mind people following me on Instagram. Uh, it's at the Hoodwitch, and it's at the Hoodwitch everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, every social platform is at the Hoodwitch. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Bree. Oh, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, and I'm just really honored to be here, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.